0: Thanks for joining Impact Boom on this episode.
1: If we're talking about taking really big, messy systems of diverse humans on large-scale transformation change journeys, then actually the the importance of having processes and evidence and multiple data sources to underpin the decisions you're making and the influence you're trying to have, that stuff's actually just really essential.
0: Welcome to impactboom.org. We search the globe to find the people stories ideas and inspiration to help you create maximum positive impact each week impact boom brings you thought-provoking interviews with world leading practitioners passionate about creating positive social change these designers social entrepreneurs educators innovators thinkers and doers share their projects initiatives thoughts and insights on creating a better world You can find all the stories, links, and other great content at impactboom.org. Follow us on Facebook or Twitter for the latest updates, or subscribe to the newsletter or on iTunes.
2: Thanks for listening to episode 291 of Impact Boom. My name is Indio Miles, and I'm passionate about communicating the initiatives and enterprises causing sustainable and positive change globally. Today, we're speaking with Fleur Johnston. Peoplebench CEO and founder Fleur Johnston has more than 20 years experience in workforce and digital transformation. Driven to create change for good, Fleur founded PeopleBench with the aim of empowering school leaders to build great school workforces to achieve the best possible outcomes for students. Fleur is passionate about helping the education sector evolve based on the changing landscape of work, the effects of technology, and a global shift in expectations. Fleur believes that people must be at the heart of the future of education and that workforce strategy underpinned by research, data and metrics, will play a role in the path to better student and therefore social and economic outcomes globally. Fleur is a fellow of the Australian Human Resources Institute, graduate of the Australian Institute of Company Directors, executive advisor to the Queensland University of Technology's Executive MBA program, a proud University of Queensland alumni and regular UQ Ventures contributor as mentor and judge. In 2020, Fleur became a graduate of the globally recognized Springboard Enterprises Tech Cohort Accelerator and was the recipient of a highly competitive Boosting Female Founders Initiative grant awarded by the Australian Federal Government. On today's podcast, we'll be discussing using data and technology to help schools to be sustainable and impactful, and how this approach will contribute to a bolstered Australian teaching workforce. Fleur, Thank you very much for joining us today. It's very exciting to have you here.
1: Thank you, I'm really grateful to be here.
2: Excellent. So to start off, Fleur, could you please share just a bit about your background and what led to your interest and work in education and workforce development?
1: Yeah, of course. I started my background in workplace psychology and after starting my career in the state government in Queensland, I spent the next number of years working across roles in strategic HR and then on really large multi-agency change initiatives. And a lot of those really were focused on how we could improve the experience of citizens when they're accessing public services. I've pretty much always been fascinated in how we can design interventions at that big systemic level to have an impact in the community. And in particular, I've been really interested in how we can put the humans who work in organisations at their absolute best, because fundamentally, that's what has the, the most significant influence on folks in communities. And that's really what my work's always been about. So I think in my early chapters, I was pretty privileged to work with some amazing people on really big technology transformation agendas. And I learned a lot about how we could create better systems, processes, and ways of delivering services so that we could deploy limited resources whether that's tax base or in a smaller not-profit environment for maximum effect to the recipients who need those services and I guess that's also where I started to get pretty interested in the intersection of workforce data and community impact information. Mm. A, a lot of that work happens during a chapter in, where the tolerance for government agencies working unto themselves is already starting to become pretty low and the appetite to take on ideas that are gaining traction, especially in the UK at the time, uh, which aimed to put the citizen at the heart of how we design and deliver services were really starting to get traction in Australia too. And of course, as soon as you start thinking about how you redesign services, you also have to think about how you redesign workforces so that they can deliver the services in new and different ways. Yeah, that's where it all started. And then I had a chapter working in Europe to the the board and the CEO of large hospital and health service. And that was at a time when we were seeing a a real crisis in the supply of nurses globally. And that provided an opportunity to do some really innovative work. Other people who were from all sorts of different professional domains and disciplines to deal with some of the challenges of the workforce. Because when one of your big challenges is supply, you can't just Fix that, um, Mm. especially not in an international labour supply crisis. You can't just sort of magic up more nurses. So you have to start looking at more innovative strategies to, in addition to trying to think about how do we grow more baby nurses, you have to look at some of the things around your operating models and your organisational design and, and workforce strategies to. Not just deal with the immediate pain, but try and influence the better medium and long term picture for an industry's workforce. That that was probably the landscape, and then I came back to Australia and and worked with pretty amazing people on change and industrial relations aspects of what was the largest student administration implementation in the Southern Hemisphere at that time, and and that was a crash course in the intersection of technology and workforces in that case in the tertiary education space and. And I guess I actually grew up in a family with a mother who was a teacher and while I was off having these fantastic adventures on, you know, how to build amazing workplaces and implement substantial workforce change, I actually couldn't reconcile the poorly experience being employed as a teacher that mm-hmm. that my mum was having. <laughs> I guess I thought about that huge gap at the time, but it was only really when I was working with K-12 schools on strategy here in Queensland when we returned home that some of the missing pieces of
2: that puzzle really started to sink in for
1: me. It's a
2: really interesting background and it flows in very directly. And I'm really glad that you brought up that element of how your mother inspired you then to look at education. And you're now the CEO and founder of The People Bench. Can you tell us more about the organization's mission and how it strives to achieve it? people
1: going to exist to build better school workforces very simply and ultimately that's because we believe that when teachers can be at their personal and professional best then they can achieve fantastic outcomes for and with the students they serve. It's very hard to be impactful as a teacher if you're fried and overworked, potentially working out of your domain of expertise or experiencing workplace violence, hearing horrible stories in the press about the reputation of the profession. And if you couple that then with being in a school, perhaps it's finding it hard to attract new staff, that can be a pretty demoralizing place to be. I think it's important to understand the landscape that we're working in education. In 2016 UNESCO, were are predicting a 69 million teacher shortfall to meet the needs of K to 12 kids across the world and the UN Sustainable Development Goals, the number four goal is all about ensuring inclusive and equitable quality education. Within that then there's a sub-goal to increase the number of teachers in developing nations but teacher supply even in really well-resourced economies is evaporating rapidly right now. Before COVID, US were predicting a 200,000 shortfall by the end of 2024. And that's a pre-COVID stat. So you can imagine what we expect those revised numbers to look like. And even in Australia, we've had a range of shortfalls predicted across our states and territories. And we can see with the systems that we're working in, that then causes a whole heap of symptoms. It causes Mm. turnover symptoms, wellbeing, psychological symptoms. There really needs to be this quite urgent body of work done to try to help schools be in a better place because I guess the call to arms for everyone is that if we fail to address these things we in fact won't have a sustainable teaching workforce and of course that communities who experience that first and hardest are usually those who are socioeconomically disadvantaged in some way so our our mission is to transform education through using data science approach we collect information on school workforces as well as student outcomes and we do the, the missing research to understand what it is about a school workforce that has the biggest impact on student outcomes. And then we make that data as research findings available to everyone and through our technology platform. We provide a whole heap of really pragmatic tools and resources for leaders in schools and systems of schools to be able to do better workforce strategy so we can make schools great places to work as well as for, for students to learn
2: really interesting organisation and looking at that data now and all that information that you've collected, what opportunities currently exist for educators to revolutionise the way that schooling gets done? This
1: is such an amazing space right now on the, yeah. on the one hand there's phenomenal drivers of having to rethink schooling delivery mm-hmm. through that lens of radically restricted staffing supply and at the same time you've got these massive shifts in the landscape to do with technology solutions so your hybrid learning the way we can deliver learning experiences and for folks in teaching in a completely different pedagogical practices, like ways of teaching. You've also seen the rise of consumer mentality from families, sending students to school over the recent years. That's a big shift for the sector. Um, That's not how educators have seen themselves. Most still don't in any way see themselves providing a consumer product. They're engaged in the lifelong mission of taking students and communities on learning journeys to -hmm. being whole people. There's this really noble piece of the work in the sector And then you've had factors that have got really stark spotlights on them through the pandemic, like even the significant role that schools play in enabling adult economic participation. In plain English, grown-ups can go to work when their children are at physical schools. And when we're talking about a different way of doing schooling, there's significant impacts in that space. I think the real opportunities lie at the intersection of all of those different things coming together. If, for example, you reconsider who schools serve and the role they play in those stakeholders lives, then we might also reconsider the types of jobs we have in schools and the role that a physical school space plays in learning versus the digital environments we can make available as part of perhaps at home learning experiences. And if you take that a step further, you can look to the opportunities in reaching more students at lower cost and higher quality regardless of the geographic location, in many cases, in spite of socioeconomic disadvantage. So you can reimagine within that context that the experience of being a teacher, delivery is happening in a different way, potentially from different places and with different possible pathways. That really opens up a whole different landscape for what being a teacher might be like and how we can put those teachers at their best impactful with students. I guess that's really where we're finding our work being so life-giving right now because you've got educators everywhere wanting to make this really right for students and there's a big dawning awareness that really does mean making it right for teachers too. So the data on workforce just comes right back in as a central underpinning to tapping into all of those opportunities ahead.
2: There's a few really crucial opportunities there. And I really love how you spoke about that intersection of all of those new jobs becoming available because of all of these huge changes that we've seen. And throughout these last few years as well, I'm sure that you've gotten to see a lot of different people taking on leadership roles and leading different changes within especially education and data. So what are some of the biggest lessons that you've learned about effective leadership practices?
1: This is such an enormous question. Whenever I'm fortunate to be in forums where we're discussing, you know, leadership and what does good leadership look like, I guess by virtue of my professional pathway, I've always been pretty exposed to those concepts. Studying a human-centred space like psychology, you're always pretty tuned into the attitudinal and behavioural ideas on leadership. I think right back to my early career, I think you leave uni or I left uni not knowing perhaps the the that discipline, process, skills, system thinking and analysis, translation of ideas and compelling narratives. I think all of those things really throughout my career have been the, the pivotal pieces that take someone from understanding the theories of leadership to actually being able to be impactful with them in a workplace, especially I think when you're thinking about leadership, perhaps not in terms of leading a small team of people through a delivery of individual tasks or a large team through specific tasks. But if we're talking about taking really big, messy systems of diverse humans on large-scale transformation change journeys, then actually the, the importance of having processes, evidence and multiple data sources to underpin the decisions you're making and the influence you're trying to have, that stuff's actually just really essential. So. I think as my career's progressed and especially as it's progressed into advising others who've got really incredible leadership roles or or sitting on sort of government bodies the leaders that have really inspired me and have been effective in their agendas have been the ones who can balance the humanity with the progress knowing that if you're going to be able to progress then it's going to require experimentation and sometimes getting stuff wrong but that processes for taking calculated risks and always being able to measure effectiveness and impact are actually critically important, especially when we're dealing in those environments with finite resources. We're really very focused on trying to distribute those resources to everyone who needs them.
2: Those are a few really key pieces of advice there. And I know that I've gotten a lot out of that if I'm in those leadership positions in the future, and I'm sure that our audience would have as well. And we've talked a lot about the education space and data and information around that And we have put that in a positive frame, looking at kind of the opportunities and all of these amazing things that are happening coming out of especially COVID-19. But if we flip that a bit, are there any potential challenges that you foresee for the development of a healthy Australian teaching workforce in the next, let's say, five years?
1: I don't think you have to look far to see the narrative around this stuff, because whether it's the newspaper or it's actually folks lived experience of turning up at the school gate and having members of their their community, their family, their friends being in schools. You can see a number of the symptoms of that supply crisis. And in addition to the supply crisis, from our perspective, certainly the work that we do highlights a, a real absence of significant workforce strategy over the last couple of decades. I think some of those things that we've already touched on, you know, it's teacher burnout, the industrial action that starts to happen around that, mm-hmm. the attraction and retention challenges, discussion about teacher performance and, and what even is that when we're talking about development of whole humans you've really only got to do a quick google search to to see a plethora of thoughts and articles Um, but i think actually part of the real challenge is sorting the fact from fiction and and the opinion from research on all of those topics one of the big challenges we see and i certainly saw this when i was in senior government hr and and major projects roles, is that Often when we're talking about improving workforces, we we always feel like we're waiting to get a big, massive, usually hideously expensive payroll or talent management system implemented before we can give leaders on the ground a a data picture for where the challenges are on their workforce. And, And the other piece of that is reluctance of systems to share their data and in many cases with good reason not just in terms of privacy and security but internationally we've seen lots of initiatives to put leagues tables together for schools which sets up a competitive dynamic which is in many cases not helpful but the truth is that the aggregated picture of school workforces is so critically important to advancing research that the sector needs as well as improving school leadership and practice change we believe and and the way we've been working with the sector is to come up with a solution that is identified and provides privacy and dignity to school leaders to take on reflection of their own data privately to then publicly engage with their communities in what the improvement agenda needs to look like. Really getting this right for teachers and students requires taking parents and communities on a journey of change. These cha- challenges are absolutely central. They're on the radar of policymakers and leaders. So I guess the mm. thing is folks are going, we know we need to do something. We're just not quite sure what. And we've been able to grow this international collaboration of research that we've been doing and continue to seek partners who are a bit like us to get looped into the whole, you know, yeah. if not me, then who? And if not now, then when? Mindset. That's where we're at with, with some of those challenges. Mm. Yeah, yeah. I think the other one idea I'd just touch on would, would just be the images education is pretty universal. But especially in sectors where there's that high degree of emotional labour involved in work that's being done, and we all know that teaching is high emotional labour, then that space of overall mental health and wellbeing of teaching workforces is just front and centre. So looking for strategies that are tangible and move beyond fruit baskets and massages, mm-hmm. not that's where schools are placing their efforts. Really having ways of making a concrete difference and moving beyond just a discussion and words around wellbeing is another central challenge that there are lots of great minds applying their effort and energy to right now.
2: Those are a few really amazing observations you made, and it's super comforting as well to hear, that there's already that development of strategies and that long-term perspective and how we can address these core problems. And it's, yeah, it's great to hear that your data through PeopleBench is contributing to that flow. And to finish off just quickly, we've only got a minute or two left. What books or resources would you recommend to our listeners and audience?
1: Well, it'll be no surprise that my books are probably uh, a link to the sorts of things we've touched on. And 100%. Uh,
2: we've got to, we've got to recommend lap. those. That would be amazing. <laughs> Just yeah, tell us about those.
1: I am seeing off that last discussion about teacher well-being and mental health. The fundamental concepts of resilience and being able to keep going in spite of change and challenge and, and being able to be at a place where we can have a resilient response with the students that we're teaching. There's so many great things in there. One of the ones that really had an impact on me was when Nassim Taleb released the an anti-fragile book. It, it just really resonated with me that sometimes it's not only worth a level of discomfort to achieve something important that's right in front of you, but the fact that actually this discomfort is often necessary to our growth and, and potentially to the survival of, of an ecosystem as big as schooling. I really take lessons from that in leading a data science scale-up at a personal level, aside from a big sector level. I did not see or imagine that I would be doing some of the work that I'm doing <laughs> these days. So that one's a really great one. And and the other one is a book called Purposeful by Jennifer and She was the former president and co at change.org. And I think simply out of that book, it's a very easy read, but it's a really lovely call to to your transformation across the world and calling us to look at the wide range of ideas and professional disciplines that spring an idea and then turn that from something we might be managing locally to a movement globally.
2: So, yeah, that's another good one. Wow, those are a few really fantastic recommendations there. And all of the organizations you've mentioned that are creating change and those resources you just recommended them. They'll all be linked in at the end of our article. So when our audiences either listen to the podcast and heard us chat or they've read through the transcript, they'll be able to check all of those out. So I just want to say before we wrap up, thank you so much for sharing your generous insights and time today, Flirt. It was really great to have you here. And I can just say personally, I'm really looking forward to seeing your work in the future around education and data. So yeah, it's amazing. And I just wish you all the best.